This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. We're in Genesis chapters 4 through 6 today, uh, mostly chapter 5. Excuse me. But... uh, The title of our lesson this morning is, When the Outlook is Bleak, Try the Uplook. And that's exactly what we'll try to do. Turn to Genesis chapter 4, if you will. Last week we studied the life of Cain. We're going to talk about him a little bit more today, but not very much. Uh, We covered a lot last week about Cain. We found out that he was an ungodly man and he never repented of his sin. And uh, sorry to announce today that Cain's probably in hell. I regret that, but that's the way it is. Uh, in uh, Genesis chapter 4, we're going to look at the, at the last verse, last two verses of Genesis chapter 4, verses 25 and uh, 26, and then we'll get into the fifth chapter, but I'm not going to read much of that right now. It says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son called Seth. For God to say, uh, for, for God, uh, said she, hath anointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. In other words, God replaced Abel with Seth. So Adam had three sons. He had some daughters as well. But three sons are named here, um, Cain, then Abel, whom he slew, and then, and then Seth. The, uh, the single-page handout that that you just uh, received. Um, <clears throat> it looks like this, only it's not in color. Yours is in black and white. I've got mine in living color. Is uh, the generations of Adam. <clears throat> and uh, as we read through this passage, maybe you can look at that. Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because I think it kind of uh, it self-explains itself. But you'll notice over on the left-hand side, Cain's name, and um, and there's not much, not no, there's nobody listed under his name. Although there is one other of his sons that's mentioned here, who was just like his dad, and we'll talk about him a little bit later. He he also slew a man, and then in the center was Abel, but Abel was slain. He was killed uh, by Cain. And then God replaced him, and there's a reason why God replaced him. Remember a promise that God gave back in chapter 3, verse 15? In fact, let's just turn back there and look at that, because uh, this is playing a very important part now in what God's doing. Uh, Chapter 3, and verse 15 says this, 
I will put enmity between thee, God speaking to Satan, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise thy heel. This is the first, this is the first verse of scripture we find recorded in the Bible that has, has to do with God's plan of redemption. And he's telling Satan here that uh, you're doomed, you're doomed, Satan. And um, right, right at the beginning, right, right at the beginning, after he, after he caused Adam and Eve to fall into sin, I said after he caused them that, they made the choice to do that, but nevertheless he put the temptation before them to do it. God says, you're doomed, Satan. And, uh, and God declared war on Satan at that point. Well, at that point, Satan started doing everything he could do to destroy the promise that God made that uh, the woman's seed would bruise his head, would, 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 would crush his head. Now, he would have some damage. He would, he would inflict some damage. He would bruise the heel. We're talking about the Savior here, Jesus. And, and Satan has caused a lot of damage, hasn't he? But, the, but the, the last chapter of the book tells us about Satan being cast into the bottomless pit and then into the lake of fire. And Satan has done everything through the course of history from that time to keep that from happening. That's why Cain slew Abel. Because Abel was of the righteous line, Cain was of the wicked line, the, the Cainites, uh, the the Cainites were wicked people. And so Cain slew Abel, and Satan thought that in, in slaying Abel, that this promise would never be kept. But God said nothing doing. He brought Seth along. The Sethites were godly people. The only problem is that um, after about 1,500 years, and by the way, there's about 1,500 years that transpired between the Garden of Eden and the flood. Probably a little more than that. When you, when you add up the years together uh, uh, conscientiously in chapter 5 of all those that, that, uh, that appear in that chapter between, uh, between Adam and Noah, uh, it's a, a little over 1,500 years. May even stretch out to 1,600 years. We can't tell exactly, but... Pretty close. And so during that whole course of time, it was Satan's purpose to keep God from being able to fulfill that promise. And it hasn't stopped. It went even after the flood. And uh, we even see it today. Satan's still doing his, uh, his best to destroy the work of God and, and to keep from having that promise fulfilled. Well, it's too late now anyway. 2,000 years ago, God sent that Savior, that Redeemer. And, uh, and on the cross, Jesus Christ sealed the doom of Satan. It's already been, his sentence has already been passed. Well, the sentence was passed back then, but it's been executed now. And uh, just waiting for him to be uh, finally executed. So that's kind of the essence of our, of our story today. And that's, and that's the purpose for this uh, this handout here, and you can look at that later, and <clears throat> and hopefully it'll be helpful to you. Father, I pray that you'll guide our thoughts today. I pray this lesson will be effective. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll bless your word to our hearts. 
May the Holy Spirit be our teacher, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. After sin entered the human race, it didn't take very long for the corruption to, that, that it spawned to spread <clears throat> and defile the whole creation. It spread like a cancer. And uh, throughout the civilization, and it brought death with it. That was God's promise, you see. Uh, you would die if you ate the fruit of that tree we studied a few weeks ago. He told, uh, told Eve, says, if you eat of the fruit of that tree, you'll die. And uh, that's what happened. Death passed upon all men because of that, that we read in the book of uh, Revelation, or Romans, rather. And so, um, <clears throat> and so this section that covers about 1,500 years of human history, years that are clouded with sin and sorrow, but, but when, the right, when the night is the darkest, the stars shine the brightest. And when the outlook is grim, the uplook is encouraging. Thirteen different people are named in these verses that we find here in chapter 5. Thirteen different people uh, are, are named there. Four of which, Seth, Enos, Enoch, and Noah, stand out. And, and they're highlighted here in, in this passage. And we're going to look at the four of these today as we have time to do so. Um, Anyway, uh, they stand out because God is, because they're associated with something very special that God did for them and through them and, and for us for the fulfillment of the promise that God gave us. Back there in uh, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, that there would be a redeemer, uh, that God was going to provide uh, a victor for us. And so the first of these is Seth. This is number uh, Roman numeral 1 in your outline, Seth. A new beginning for God. Uh, Genesis chapter 4 verse 25. We've already read that. But the first five verses of chapter 5. Um, are important here. Let's go ahead and read those verses. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man. In the likeness of man made he him. Male and female created he them. And blessed them. And called their name Adam. In the day when they were created. And Adam lived. 130 years and begat a son in his likeness, his own likeness, after his image and called his name Seth. And uh, the days of Adam after he begat Seth were 800 and so many years. You can read those. And then uh, Adam lived for 930 years and then he died. Uh, that word, that little phrase, and he died, appears over and over and over again. And so letter A under Roman numeral 1 is a light out of darkness. Uh, it was a dark time. Uh, they were living in dark days. Sin had impacted the human race. And uh, the only ray of hope in that dark day was God's promise that a redeemer would one day be born of a woman and conquer Satan. Uh, but Abel was dead. He couldn't begin a child. Uh, and Cain, uh, the unbelieving murderer, had wandered off and built a city in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So would God's promise be fulfilled? Uh, there was no other to fulfill that promise. And, and Cain certainly wasn't going to be used to God to do, to do that. Um, uh, how could it be fulfilled? Had Satan actually won by killing Abel? Well, God's not going to be trumped. And no pun on words there, by the way. 
God is sovereign in all things and his plans are not going to be frustrated by the foolish, sinful ways of mankind. Nothing that anybody does can thwart God's plan. God is sovereign. And we should never forget that. We get uptight because of what we see happening in our society today. Now, well, this is not the first time that we've seen some dreadful things take place. God has, can I use this analogy? God has a trump card to play. And again, there's no pun on words there. I'll just, you know, we used to say that long before we ever knew about trump, right? <laughs> Uh, God, has a, God, God has a way of fulfilling his word, you know, following it out, because he is sovereign. <clears throat> the Bible says that he worketh all things after the counsel of his will. The Lord enabled Eve to conceive and bear another son whom she named Seth. And by the way, Seth's name in the Hebrew actually means granted, because God had appointed him to replace Abel. I mean, she, she even says that, the, the Bible even says that, that, <clears throat> that God gave Eve Seth instead of Abel, in the place of Abel. Uh, he replaced it. And so let her be a fulfillment of God's promise. Genesis 5 is the first genealogy that we find in the, script, in the scripture. It introduces the book of the generations of Adam, as we read in verse 1. Ten, genera ten generations are listed from Adam to Noah, just as there are ten generations that are listed from Seth to Abraham. And we'll get into that later. And, uh, and by the way, the, the generations of Seth are enumerated in chapter 11 of this book. So eight times in Genesis we find the phrase, and he died. Why? Because Death was now reigning over mankind because of Adam's sin. Sin and death still reign today. But uh, through Jesus Christ, we can reign in life. We, uh, Paul uh, eloquently uh, describes that and tells us of that in, in Romans chapter 5. I'm, I'm getting a lot of popping here. Huh? <clears throat> Let me get that. Maybe I got this up a little too high. All right. In Bible history, the birth of a baby <clears throat> often makes a difference between defeat and victory in God's plan. It's interesting how many times when babies are born that uh, they're born for a purpose and uh, God has a plan in it and we're going to see all that. A good example of that would be during the Jews' uh, difficult years in Egypt. God let Moses be born, remember? And then... Uh, when the lamp of prophecy went out, Samuel came along. And then Isaiah was named, named one of his sons. His son, the son that he named, <clears throat> his name was, was called, um, <clears throat> and this is in uh, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 3. His name was Shirah Jashub. Try that one for a while. But that son's name, the pronunciation is, forget it. But the, but the name means a remnant shall return. In other words, God gave Isaiah a son, and by giving that son said there's a, there's a remnant that's going to return. And indeed, a remnant did return, remember? So how many people 
does it take for God to get a job done? Not very many. You know, 10 righteous people would have saved Sodom. There weren't 10 there that were righteous. There were only eight, as you remember, eight. Six. However many, six, yeah. Um, uh, But there, but... uh, um, uh, it would only take in ten. Jesus, Jesus said that that he would he would be president if only two or three were present. That wherever two or three are together, I'm there in the midst of them. He said. And then at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit empowered a small group of how many? 120 believers. Guess what they did to this world? 120 believers. Doesn't take very many, does it? Well, God sent one man, Seth. And, uh, and from Seth, things changed. Um, even the Apostle Paul evangelized the Roman Empire with a team of men and women that were totally surrendered to him. And so when the work of the Lord looks like it's failing, uh, you, you feel like you're the only one left serving God. I want you to remember Enos. Remember um, uh, his posterity. Remember uh, Noah, remember just one person, it only took one person to do God's work. So God's not hurting. And it may look like it sometimes, it'll look like it's nobody but you and me that, uh, that's standing any, for anything. But the truth is, I, uh, um, Elisha thought that too. But he found out there were 7,000 prophets in Israel that didn't bow the knee to Baal, you see. And so when we get to the place where we feel like it's all falling apart, just remember God's sovereign. And he's going to work out his plan. God's going to fulfill that promise that he gave in, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. That brings us to Enoch. The, uh, you know what? I skipped the whole person here, didn't I? Enosh. I'm so anxious to change pages here. I skipped Enosh. I started talking about him and, and skipped over him. Well, let's go back here. Roman numeral two, Enosh. Uh, the H on the end of his name uh, in your notes. I don't know if you have that in your notes or not. I changed it. I changed it on the PowerPoint. But the Hebrew name is actually, actually has an H on it. And um, anyway, it's calling on God. Enosh, calling on God. And we see this here in in chapter 4, verse 26. Um, We didn't read, we did read that. And he began, it says that Enos uh, then began men to call on the name of the Lord. And then beginning at verse 6, it it, uh, begins there with, with Seth, who was, um, um, a son of Enos. I mean, Enos was his son, and uh, and uh, and so <clears throat> Enos is an important person here. But anyway, uh, letter A under Enos is the beginning of public corporate worship, and that's an important point. I'm sorry I skipped over that. Seth was 105 years old when. Uh, when he, uh, when his son uh, Enosh, in the King James, it's Enos. I've already explained that. But 
uh, he was, Seth was 105 years old when, when uh, Enos was born. And, and the, the name Enos means man. And it comes from the Hebrew word that means frail or weak. And um, it's, it's a word for man that emphasizes how fragile and how weak we really are in ourselves. We can't do anything without God. And, uh, and uh, Enosh knew that. A remarkable thing is recorded in connection with the birth of this baby boy. At that time, it says, that people began to gather together to worship God. They proclaimed his name. They began to pray. And there was a revival of public worship and believing prayer as the descendants of Seth met together in the name of the Lord. And while the worldly Canaanites, don't, don't confuse the Canaanites with the Canaanites. The Canaanites come along later. These are the Canaanites. These are the followers or, or the descendants of Cain. And so the, the whole uh, worldly Canaanites, or Canaanites uh, were boasting of their strength and power, and the godly Sethites were glorifying God in his name. And throughout sacred history, it's been the godly remnant that has kept the work of the Lord going in, his, in this world. Time after time, the nation of Israel drifted in idolatry and spiritual lethargy. But a believing remnant was raised up uh, to keep, keep the light burning. And uh, these, encouraging, these courageous people cried out to God for deliverance. And, uh, and he heard them and he answered their prayers. And so that brings us to letter B. Uh, letter A was the beginning of public corporate worship. Letter B, a faithful remnant of God's people. And uh, I, I, uh, that's where I, I skipped over that letter A. And, and so we've already looked at the faithful remnant of God's people. It doesn't take many people for God to do his work. And that does now bring us to Enoch, the third person mentioned here. Enoch, walking with God, Roman numeral 3. And we see this beginning at verse 12 in Genesis 5. And I, I, I'm not going to read all of these verses, but let's just read a few of them. Uh, it says in uh, verse 12 of chapter 5, um, And Kainan, that's the way it's pronounced, Kainan, lived 70 years and begat Mahu Mahalaliel. That's the way it's pronounced. You know, I have a Bible that has, has these uh, pronounced for me, which is very helpful. Uh, you may have the same. Anyway, it's uh, divided into syllables here. Mahalaliel. He lived 60 years, begat Jared, and Mahalaliel lived there. Can you imagine calling your son, Mahalaliel? Now, a mother wouldn't holler like that, would she? <laughs> I'd be tempted to just call him Maha for short. That's like Walt, you know, for Walter. Uh, he lived 65 years and begat Jared, and Maha La Liel. Lived after he begat Jared 830 years and begat sons and daughters in the day of Mahalaliel. 
uh, were 80, 895 years, and Jared lived 100 years and so on. And then we come down to Enoch in verse 21. And um, verse 19 says, And Jared lived there till he begat Enoch uh, 800 years, and then he, uh, he lived for 962 years. How would you like to live that long? Cherry, how would you like to live that long? 962 years. I don't want to live to be 100. Huh? No? no? I don't either. But everyone that's listed here lived that long, lived, lived, lived 900 years except a couple of them. One of them lived 800 and some years, and then, and then there was um, um, Enoch that walked with God, and God took him. Now, he lived about 500 years, even at that. But anyway, uh, Enoch, walking with God, walking with God. These are links in the chains of, the faithful, of, of that faithful prophecy. Uh, these names that I just read off here uh, as I murdered um, their names. I murdered their names. People like Kaanine and Mahalalel and Jared. It may not seem important to God's story of salvation, but they are important. For they're living links in the generational chain that stretched from Seth to the birth of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and God's promise of Genesis chapter 3 can never have been fulfilled without them. That's why they're so important. And you come down to the book of Ruth and learn there that David and uh, Jesse and David and so forth. And God had his people in place. God was going to fulfill that prophecy regardless, you see. And uh, anyway... Um, um, I lost my place here. This was a turning point in Enoch's life when he was born. Enoch was, Enoch was uh, whoops, I'm, I'm dropped down to the next one here. I'm getting confused here this morning. I'm kind of like our president. What am I doing here? <laughs> you know, I can relate to some of his. Get off of that, preacher. All right, all right, I'm off of it. All right, there we go. God's promise of Genesis 3.15 could never have been fulfilled if it were not for the faithful, faithfulness of many undistinguished people who to us were strange, hard to pronounce names in the ancient genealogy. And so when we read this, they are important. These names are important. We, we may not be able to pronounce them very well. Uh, I don't know why they didn't have Mike's and Sam's and Waltz back in those days. Uh, they had people that we couldn't pronounce. All right. Uh, so there were links in the chain of fulfilled prophecy. And then there's a kingpin, letter B. The kingpin of, of fulfilled prophecies. It's uh, Enoch. When Enoch was 65 years old, his wife gave birth to a son that they named Methuselah. And that big name, we know that because uh, we, we know Methuselah's name because we, we talk about him a lot because he's the oldest.
Or anyway, turn this mic on. Please. <clears throat> I like it better up here because this is a little wider and I can handle my notes up here better. All right. Um, Methuselah lived 969 years. It's kind of something interesting about that. And the year that Methuselah died was the year that the flood came. So God allowed Methuselah. Now remember, he's in the godly line of Seth. And so God let Methuselah live right up to the flood, and then God took him. So he wouldn't have to go through the flood, you see. But God let him live 969 years. He's the oldest person recorded in the Bible that lived. Uh, the oldest living person in the Bible that we have record of. And uh, so anyway, in the year that Methuselah died, the flood came. Perhaps the Lord told Enoch this news <clears throat> after the baby was born. So it gripped his heart that he began, he began to walk with God and do God's will, Enoch did, when, uh, uh, when Methuselah was born. And so the birth of that child had an impact upon Enoch's life. In fact, um, the fact that Jesus is coming soon, uh, 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 the, fact that, <clears throat> the fact that Methuselah knew and, and, and Noah knew and, and those people knew the flood was coming because God told them. The Bible says that by faith, Noah built the ark. That's in uh, Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, he built the ark. God told him that uh, something was going to happen. Go ahead and build the ark. I mean, here he is building a boat out there in the middle of the desert. Well, it wasn't really desert, but there wasn't any water around. And he's out there building a boat. Can you imagine the, uh, the criticism he got and people laughing at him? Jerry, what are you doing out here? What are you building a boat? They didn't even know what a boat was, by the way. Because there wasn't any, there wasn't any water, so to speak. Uh, at least it didn't rain. There was water. <clears throat> but it hadn't rained yet. And so they couldn't envision that there was going to be so much water that that boat would be useful uh, in 120 years. But it was. Um, the, the meaning of Methuselah's name probably isn't significant to us. But, the, but the life, his lifespan is because God took him before the flood. And perhaps the Lord had told Enoch these, this news when the baby was born. And it so gripped his heart that he began to walk with God and do the will of God. And the fact that Jesus is coming again to judge the world ought to, ought to motivate God's people to live in holiness and obedient servant, service. And for Second Peter, we get this word. Seeing that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in holy conversation? and godliness. We know that Jesus is coming again, don't we? Have you heard that news? Well, in case you haven't, let me tell you, Jesus is coming again. And so it ought to, it ought to produce godliness in us, knowing that Jesus is coming. He could come at any time. And uh, he could come before I finish. I'd be glad of that. Uh, <laughs> All right. I'll, <laughs> I understand. <laughs> and uh, 
and, and, I, and we should look forward to that. So, and so uh, there are links in the chain of fulfilled prophecy. There's a kingpin of fulfilled prophecy. And then thirdly, letter C, there's the example of godly living in the light of fulfilled prophecy. The phrase that we read so often throughout this uh, fifth chapter, uh, and he died, is not used of Enoch. Enoch was one of two men in scripture who didn't die. Both Enoch and Elijah were taken to heaven uh, without dying. We know that. Uh, some people try. Some people think that they, the two prophets, are the two prophets that come back, uh, that are recorded there in uh, what is it, the sixth or seventh chapter of the book of Revelation, and then they're they're martyred, they're they're killed, and so they do actually eventually see death. I I'm not sure that that's the correct position. I I really haven't taken a position on that. I I've read different positions there about those two prophets in Revelation. And so it may be Elijah, it may be Enoch and, uh, and uh, Elijah, Elisha who were taken up. Elisha was taken up in a whirlwind. Uh, but I don't know, I, I don't know. Anyway, some students say that Enoch, Enoch's pre-flood rapture is a picture of the church being raptured to heaven before God sends the tribulation on earth. And I, I agree with that. It's kind of interesting that that happened before, before the flood, before God's judgment. And you and I are going to be taken out of here before God's next judgment, which is the tribulation. Thank God we're not going to be here. And I mentioned earlier that it was by faith that Enoch was taken to heaven, Hebrews 11.5. And so he believed God and walked with God and, uh, and went with God. Uh, which is an example for all of us to follow. Imagine how difficult it must have been to walk with God during those, during those terrible years just before the flood. Everybody was doing that which was right in their own eyes, and they were wicked, exceedingly wicked, that we read of in chapter 6 that we'll look at here in just a couple of minutes. They were exceedingly wicked. It was, must have been a difficult time for godly people to live at that time. But Enoch's life of faith was not a private thing. He boldly announced that God would come and judge the world of sin. In, in the book of Jude, the New Testament book of Jude, verses 14 and 15 tells us that. And in his day, the judgment of the flood did come, but the judgment that Enoch was announcing will occur when Jesus Christ comes again. It's talking about the tribulation, actually. And we learned that in Revelation chapter 19. So Enoch's life and witness Remind us, of the, uh, remind us that it's possible to be faithful to God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. It's awful hard today. <clears throat> it's, it's, easy to be, it's easy to be taken in by the world, isn't it? Uh, to love the world and uh, be given over to the things of the world in this perverse generation. Uh, when, I was, when I was younger, in my high school, I went to a public high school but you know what? My public high school that I went in and Jan went to the same high school, but our public high school was probably as as uh, as good as a lot of Christian schools. A lot of Christian schools are today. There are some Christian schools that I wouldn't send my kids to. To be honest with you, and I won't name them. But uh, <clears throat> but uh, basically speaking, we were we were pretty moral people. Oh, there were bad guys around. There were some that 
you know, tried to stir up trouble and so on. And, uh, and it, was, it was not hard to live for God in our public high school. That we were surrounded with other kids our age that, that loved the Lord. And they had open testimonies of that. But you try that today. It's a difficult thing. Uh, I remember when the Brady kids were over at the Western Branch High School. They had good testimonies over there. And, uh, and, and they were known for their Christian stand, and I appreciated that. But that's a hard thing these days, to live in a society like that and not cave into it. Well, that's the way it was before the flood. It was hard to live in that society, but there were those who were, who were faithful to God and lived during that time in a crooked and perverse generation. No matter how dark the day or how bad the news, we have the promise of God's soon return, of the Lord's return, uh, to people, uh, to, uh, to, to uh, his return to encourage, and not all to encourage us, uh, encourage us and motivate us to be godly. And uh, one day sin will be judged, and God's people will be rewarded for their faithfulness. And so that brings us to Noah, Roman numeral four. Rest and comfort from God, Noah. In uh, the 28th verse of this fifth chapter, I'll let you read all of those other verses there. And uh, He lived so many days and so many years and died and all that sort of thing. You can read that. But in, uh, in verse 28, it says this, And Lamech lived 182 years and begat a son, and he called his name Noah, saying, The same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord had cursed. And then uh, <clears throat> we could read on through verse 8 of the next chapter, and we'll read some of those verses as this unfolds. But, but notice here that Noah brought rest and comfort. That was his purpose in coming. And uh, though, though they bore the same name, Lemek, this Lemek of the line of Seth, was radically different than the Lemek of the line of Cain. And I didn't, I didn't mention him, I skipped over him, but back in chapter four, in verses 18 through 24, we read about uh, Cain's son, Lemek. They're two different people, don't get them confused. Seth's Lemek fathered Noah, and Noah walked with God, and was used of God to save the human race and to continue that messianic promise that God gave back in chapter 3. Cain's Lemech followed after his dad's example, and he murdered a young man, and then he bragged about it. And so like father, like son. The Bible says like mother, like daughter, but in this case, like father, like son. Uh, Cain killed Abel. Lemech came along, Cain's son, and he killed a man, too. He had a good example, didn't he, from his dad. Well, we're not talking about that Lemek. We're talking about the Lemek uh, of Seth's son uh, that fathered Noah. And uh, so Noah came as a ray of hope, and that's letter A. Hope, verses 58 through 32. I read verse, verse 28 through 32. I said 58, didn't I? Uh, 28 through uh, 32. Uh, verse 30 says, And Lemek lived after he begat Noah 590 years 
uh, 95 years, and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Lamech were, were 777 years. And verse 32 says, And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And we're going to see something unusual about that listing there, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Actually, Japheth was the oldest son. He was the firstborn. And why they're listed here in that order, I'm not sure. I don't know why the Holy Spirit put it in that order. There's a reason for it, I guess, but I don't know what it is. But anyway, Japheth was the oldest one. Ham was the middle son, and Shem was the, or no, Shem was the oldest son, and Ham was, no. Um, what am I doing here? <laughs> Let me start over again, okay? Japheth was the oldest son. Um, Shem was the second born, and Ham was the youngest son. And so uh, just keep that in mind for a minute. So anyway, there's, there's hope. Uh, God brought hope to a lost generation. Lemek's great concern for, uh, was that mankind would find comfort and rest in the midst of this wicked world where it was necessary to toil and sweat by the sweat of your brow. Life was difficult, and the only hope that the true believers had was putting their faith in the promised Redeemer. The name Noah literally means this, comfort or rest. That's what Noah means, the Hebrew word. Comfort or rest. And his prayer was that his son would somehow bring to the world the rest and the comfort that people so greatly needed. That was uh, at that time. So Lamech was 682 years old, and Noah was 500 years old when Noah's firstborn son came, Japheth. And uh, as I mentioned, the listing there in verse 32 is, is not in the order of their birth. The second one, letter B, is compromise. Compromise. There's hope, but there was compromise. Um, In chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, it tells us about the compromise. Look at this chart I gave you a little while ago. Where is it? Here it is. Let me read, first of all, these, uh, these seven verses, of the, uh, beginning with the first verse in chapter 6, and then I want to make a comment about this chart. It came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they looked on the, and they took them wives of all that were that were cho that all that they chose and the Lord said my spirit shall not always strive with men uh, for that he also is is flesh and yet his days shall be 120 years that 120 years is a reference from the time that, uh, that uh, God said this to the, to the time that the flood came. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came unto the daughters of men, and they bare children of them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every imagination of thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. 
It repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both men and beasts and creeping things and the fowls of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. And then verse 8 says, Noah found grace. And we'll look at that in just a couple of minutes here. But look at this chart. <clears throat> you have here on the left-hand side the line of Cain, the ungodly line. And then you see on the right-hand side the line of Seth. And all of these names are mentioned here uh, in, uh, in chapter 5, or most of them in chapter 5. But down at the bottom you have Genesis chapter 6 and verse 1, uh, which says, And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth that daughters and sons were born to them, etc. What happened? Well, read what I put under that. The Canaanite daughters of men. Some of you may have been taught otherwise about the uh, about who the daughters of men and the sons of God are. The, the sons of God and the daughters of men are here. But I'm convinced that this that this is the correct interpretation of this. That the Canaanite line are the daughters of men. They began to intermarry with the Sethites, the sons of God, causing the godly Sethite line to become corrupted with the evil ways of the ungodly Canaanite line and result was God's judgment of flood. When, uh, when the godly line began to compromise with the ungodly line, guess who impacted who? You know, it always happens that way. You know, that's the reason why the Bible tells us uh, uh, that uh, we should not be united with unbelievers. A Christian should not marry a, an unbeliever. That's why the Bible tells us to separate ourselves from the things of the world. Why? Because Satan has a great impact. And his influence is significant. And when godly people begin to compromise with ungodly people, for some reason it's always the ungodly people that have the greatest impact. And that's what happened between the daughters of men, the Canaanites, and the sons of God, the Sethites. They started to intermarry. And you see what happened. And the Lord said, I will destroy the earth. He said this, he said, he said, God saw that the wickedest man was great on earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And uh, it's so important that we listen to God's warning about separating from the world. Love not the world, the scripture says, neither the things that are in the world, and, and so on. And you, you know all those verses. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, the Bible says. Don't have partnerships with unbelievers. Uh, don't let your kids marry ungodly, unsaved people. They'll impact them. They'll have an influence on them. By the way, don't send your kids. Now, I know your kids are already grown. <clears throat> but whatever influence you might have on your grandkids, don't let them go to one of these secular, ungodly universities today. Oh, you say, well, you know, Harvard... Uh, 
Boy, they'll be able to get a job, hogwash. They'll be able to get the same job if they go to a Christian college. You hear me? And uh, you, you may not be able to influence your kids or your grandkids in that direction. I hope you can. But, uh, but it happens every time. I can't tell you how many parents are grieved because they let their kid go to the secular university where they're teaching socialism and teaching communism. You know, there are known communists in some of our universities teaching right now. And they come out of there being communists, socialists, God-haters, country-haters, parent-haters. That's why we're having all these protests today. So on. Well, let me move on. Compromise. After chapter 3, Satan's not mentioned by name anymore uh, for a good while, at least in this section. But his, but his influence is, is seen. So here's Satan's plan. That's number one, Satan's plan. One of Satan's most successful devices is compromise. If he can dilute God's people into abandoning their position of separation from sin and communion with God, then he can corrupt them and lead them into sin. I think I've left most of this in your notes, and so I'm going to have to skip some of this. You can read it for yourself. But look at the next paragraph where it says, uh, <clears throat> What was Satan's plan for defeating God's people in Noah's day? It was to entice the godly, godly line of Seth, the sons of God, to mix with the ungodly line of Cain, the daughters of men, and thus abandon their devotion to the Lord. And it happened. But there's God's, inter there's, and, and there's, there's man's interpretation. This is number two, man's interpretation. And uh, we've referred to the chart here. And... Uh, I know you've got this in your notes, and so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to skip over this and let you read it, but please promise me you'll read it. Because I think this gives you the proper, the right interpretation of, of, of the, the, the daughters of, uh, the, the, the sons of God and the daughters of men. Uh, there, are, there are those, you know, that believe that, uh, that, uh, that the daughters of men uh, intermingled with fallen angels, Nephilim. They're called Nephilim. They're called fallen ones. But there, but I don't think I don't think that um, that interpretation is valid. There are some good Bible teachers, some men that we highly respect that hold that position. Uh, and I'm not trying to criticize them. I'm just trying to be practical because I believe that what's happening is that God is fulfilling His promise that He's going to send a Redeemer. And, and we're dealing with men here. We're not dealing with angels. As a matter of fact, the word man is used some nine times in verses 1 through 7. And God stresses clearly that the judgment is coming because of what man has done. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, not angels. I don't think it has anything to do with angels. And, uh, and if you'll read... If you'll read these verses, you'll, you'll get a full understanding of that. But let's move on to verse 8, and, and then we'll bring it to an end here. 
in verse 8, uh, uh, and this is letter C under Noah. Uh, letter A was hope. Letter B was compromise. Letter C, grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Aren't you great for that? Found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, the only way that people can be saved is by the grace of God. And uh, grace is not God's reward for, for a good life. It's God's response to saving faith. By faith, Noah being warned to God of things not yet seen. Moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his family. And true faith involves the whole inner man. The mind that understands God's warning. The heart fears, uh, fears for what's coming. And then the will acts on, acts on obedience to the, to the word of God. And so that's where we need. That's what we need. We need the grace of God. And thank God Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And we'll talk about that I think next Sunday so let's pray our father we do thank you for your sovereignty we're grateful Lord that that you see fit to carry out your your word your will your plan and father we thank thee that Genesis 3:15 has already been fulfilled it was carried out on the cross on Jesus who shed his blood in payment for our sins and we thank you God that we're going to see and we accept this by faith, that we're going to see the final fulfillment of that when Satan is doomed for all of eternity, cast into the lake of fire forever with the devil and his angels. And so, Father, we, uh, we just pray, Lord, that you will take to heart what you are telling us here. God, help us to be separated from, uh, from worldliness, from the Canaanites of this world. And I pray, God, that we may be like Seth, walking with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and God's Word has had an impact on your life, as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.